Healthcare is changing, and our goal for the Making Healthcare podcast is to capture and share the stories of innovators and disruptors who are shaping the future of healthcare today. They're making healthcare safer, making healthcare affordable, making healthcare innovative. I'm David Park, CEO of VirtuSense Technologies and the host of Making Healthcare. Today's guest is Lisa Zimmers, the Executive Director of Twin Lakes at Life Enriching Communities, the preeminent life, life plan community in Montgomery, Ohio. So Lisa is a big Georgia Bulldog fan. She is an RN, but she resisted the desire or the, the she, she resisted being a nurse for the longest time. And I'm going to get into that a little later. And the third fun fact about Lisa is she loves leftovers. So welcome to Making Healthcare, Lisa. Thank you. Glad to be here. We're very, very glad to have you with us. Now, um, for, the, for our listeners, please just give a brief introduction about yourself. So I am the newly appointed executive director here at Twin Lakes, as you mentioned, in Cincinnati. Uh, subdivision is Montgomery. And we have three premier living communities in Ohio, two here in southwest Ohio, Twin Lakes, where which is my campus, and Twin Towers, which is located on the east or west side of Cincinnati. And our most recently um, the recent to join the community family is Concord Reserve, which is in Westlake, Ohio. Mm. Fantastic. Um, so for our audience, I, I had a chance to go out to Twin Lakes uh, about 18 months ago, and I met Lisa, and I was really struck by the commitment that she has to um, providing care for the residents and just providing, just being innovative in, in the way she leads the community. So I'm very, very excited to have her. And Lisa, what I like to do is kind of start out with from the beginning. So all of us as leaders in healthcare, we're on a journey. Right. But the journey starts from the from a, a certain place. Let's go back all the way to the beginning. Where were you born? Uh, I was born just north of Cincinnati in a town called Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton, Ohio. OK. So did you have any do you have any siblings? I do. I have an older sister. I have two older brothers and a younger brother. Big shout out to him today. He's a Marine. And so definitely want to recognize him on Veterans Day. Amen. Amen. Uh, what did your parents do while you were growing up? Uh, my mother worked um, in the home. She never worked outside of the home. My dad was a commercial residential painter, owned his own company and had a lot of stress uh, managing other people's companies. So he decided he would do it on his own. And we all got involved in that. So I had some manual labor days early on. <laughs> decided. How old were you when you were helping your, your dad's company? Oh, probably 11 or 12. You know, he'd be like, Here, go over there and scrape that um, house and get all the old paint off so we can paint it. So oh that goodness. was a pretty rough job. <laughs> so, Lisa, for four weekends this summer, I, I was spending time putting the heat gun to my pillars on, on my house and scraping that like five, six layers of paint off. So I completely understand what you're doing. Yeah. You can empathize with that young Lisa. <laughs> Absolutely. And I wonder, like, isn't there a technology that can make that easier? I, I can't believe we're still scraping after all these years. Right. All right. So aside from scraping paint, what was life like growing up in Hamilton, Ohio? Well, I had a big family, um, lots of extended family. Both my parents had a lot of siblings, so I had many cousins and there was always someone around. It was a lot of fun. Um, I love to be outdoors, you know, hanging out, uh, exploring, riding bikes, just having a good time and, and not a whole lot of supervision in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. 
<laughs> that's so true um yeah okay i remember seeing this um this this uh meme something that said you know as a child or who grew up in the 70s this is what your life like was like we didn't have to wear seat belts we did all this and that no supervision mm-hmm. but you know kids growing up today clearly seatbelt is, is a necessity um right. but the difference in the way we grew up is stark uh you know so okay so you grew up in a large family, lots of cousins, lots of free time, playing, exploring, being creative. So what was the earliest experience or, or memory that you have, which prompted you to envision doing something similar to what you're doing today? Well, I always like to, I like to learn many things and I like to do a lot of things um, simultaneously or very close together. So being in a role that was very dynamic, it comes very natural to me because I always wanted to be um, somebody who, okay, we're going to play house or we're going to play neighborhood police or whatever, but then we also had to have many other roles and I wanted to be the orchestrator of all of those things. So I really enjoy working with a lot of different people and and helping them to showcase their talents. That's really important to me. So when you did that uh, at an early age, uh, were you because was that with your siblings or was it the neighborhood kids? Because according to the the totem pole, but you (laughs) were the younger ones on the totem pole. Well, I was. The the others were a little older and some of it I had to sort of make my own world because they didn't want me tagging along in theirs. The older kids didn't. Nice, nice. Okay. All right. So you, okay. Then, um, so, you know, I'm really intrigued by what you said at the beginning where you, for the longest time, resisted being a nurse. So tell us more about that. I, I very frankly remember having a conversation when I was probably 13 or 14 years old with my dad that I was going to be an attorney or an accountant. I had a a million things I was going to be. And he said, well, why don't you be a nurse? And I said, he said, that's a lot less stressful. And boy, if he could see me now, (laughs) that um, I'd say that's the most stressful job at the moment is, you know, trying to be a, a, any sort of caregiver or provider in, in this season of COVID and all that's happening in the world. It's, it's a tough position to be in. And, we, I see so many of those that I work with, who they're not just caregivers at work, but they're having to navigate through, you know, homeschooling their children or being that support person through virtual learning. And, you know, also the, the home chef, the home maintenance repair person, they're doing it all. And and I really admire people who are doing that because it's a, it's a tough situation. Okay. So then, um, Tell us about your journey. So after high school, what did you end up doing? Where does nursing fit in? How did you get to life enriching communities? Kind of fill, fill the gap for us, please. Well, I um, I started at Miami University in Butler County, and I was going for accounting, believe it or not, which was really, my dad could not even believe that. And life took a turn, and I found myself uh, going to be a mother uh, earlier than I anticipated. And then I decided I really enjoyed taking care of this little human, and maybe I was pretty good at it, and I could bring that talent to others. So that's what set me on the course to a, a program at my local community technical school and started there with my LPN. I had first been a caregiver for some folks who lived in a group home in a developmental disability situation, and I just loved that work. And that's sort of what I did during my first 
nursing education to, to make money because it was a full-time program. And so on the weekends, I would go and stay at this group home. And I loved being with those guys and just helping them to be their best self. And then once I graduated with my LPN, I went into long-term care and I've loved, I love old people. I think they're amazing. People say, isn't that so depressing to work in the nursing home? And I am just so taken back. I'm like, seriously, you do not understand the dynamics that happen inside of a senior living community. The friendships that continue to be made, the the major contributions to the world. When I see people who are running a not-for-profit, who are absolutely making a difference in the world and continuing to contribute many, many years beyond retirement. And I just find that so inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was in high school, I had to write a report and the report was about um, Vietnam War. And no, and then... And it was actually about, yeah, it was a view about Vietnam War. And although it wasn't a nursing home, I interviewed somebody who was, um, you know, definitely like in his six, 50s or 60s. And he was telling us, uh, he was telling me about, you know, just the life experience of that time. And I remember thinking that um, older adults have definitely life stories, um, just experiences that are valuable and really insightful. I think that's why I love like watching the history channel and just any documentaries that I just learn from. Okay. So through your education, working with the older adults, is there any time in which you felt like, you know, Hey, maybe this is not quite where I want to be before I just jump all in and make, take this path in my career. I'm having second thoughts. Absolutely. So in the early 90s, um, jobs for licensed practical nurses in Ohio were not overly abundant. It was sort of you, you take what you can to, to make a living. And the first place that I found myself employed was a true um, nursing home. Mm. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was a very different um, very di- different climate than where I work now. And a very underserved population who had a lot of um, post-trauma um, care, lifelong disability, um, a lot of um, drug overdoses and things like that. So it was not just um, a senior population, but also, you know, anyone who was 18 and over was eligible to, for admission there. Mm. And it was a tough place to work. And I learned so much there because I learned not just what to do and how to properly do things from both a technical aspect, but also from understanding that some things going on around me weren't really on the up and up. And it gave me an opportunity to be a leader and to to speak up against things that I saw that were happening that weren't the way they should be. And also to really hone my my task, my my technical skills. I knew I couldn't stay there forever because it was it was definitely not in line with my ethical standards. And then I, I actually did move on after working there for four years. Again, I had a young family had to work and had a great opportunity where I had to take several dollars an hour pay cut, uh, reduced status. I went from full time to part time, um, but it was an opportunity to work at a place that was much more in line with my goals. And that was the greatest career mover I ever made. And when I 
went to work there. I had the opportunity to quickly move into a full-time position and, and showcase some ability that I had and return to school back to Miami where I had started and graduated with my RN. And so that really put me on a path to, to learn a lot more about how to help more people. And often when you're a nurse in a leadership role, you get the question of, well, you're really not a nurse at all. You don't do any care. And I really, um, I despise that statement because I feel like I can either go in and take care of my assignment of six residents, eight residents, 12 residents, whatever it is that day, or I can have the opportunity to reach so many more people through leadership and, and helping others to, to achieve their best outcomes each day through the people that live there and work there. And that's what I love about nursing leadership. Great. So, Lisa, you mentioned that um, it sounds like you took a path that was very difficult. You said you took a pay cut. You took, um, you know, you had to go. It's a difficult path. And oftentimes, many of us are faced with a similar options in life. Right. But most of us, I mean, not many of us take the road less traveled. How, how would you advise, like, what was your thinking process? Or how would you advise somebody who was in a similar path of, if, if you were a mentor to somebody who was kind of in that situation, how would you guide that person to come to a decision that might help them to be um, fully realized? I think first and foremost, you always have to listen to your core. What are your values and are they in line with what you see going on around you. And if not, you're never going to be happy or be able to fully contribute in a way that produces positive outcomes for the long term. And first and foremost, you have to stay true to yourself. You can't um, just work for a dollar. You have to consider what is your overall goal and how do you get there. And you may have to take a a sidestep and do without one or two things that, you know, are not necessities. But in the long run, it'll definitely help you. You only get to do it one time. And if you don't take the right choices and make those tough decisions, you'll regret it for years to come. Yeah, I love that, Lisa, because you're essentially describing the uh, sort of, you know, the story of the hero, the hero's journey. You're describing yourself crossing that threshold of no turning back. You took that decision and it is tough, but that's kind of set your path towards that journey. Lisa, as an executive director of Twin Lakes, you've accomplished a lot. Tell us about a mentor that you've had in professional circles that's helped you to where you are today. I had the opportunity when I was looking for different employment from being at my unsettled first job and and not really aligned spiritually or ethically. I applied and had an interview at the community that I ended up working at. And on the first day of my interview, I met Jim Mayer, who was the administrator of that community. And that set my trajectory of senior living work in motion at that very moment, because he and I had a great connection. And he could see that even though um, my resume did not put me in line with an organization that was of high value or, um, or good 
reputation that I could step outside of that and had the ability and the desire to improve others' lives. And, and it gave me a chance. And that really meant a lot to me. And it started a lifelong friendship. And, and Jim, actually, he and I worked together at that organization for 14 years. And then he came to Twin Lakes. I came several years later, and he really has helped me tremendously to grow both professionally and personally. That's great. And one of the ways in which I grow professionally and personally is through learning through my failures. Um, can you share of uh, an instance as an either administrator at Twin Lakes or your recent position as the executive director of Twin Lakes, some, some situation or event where it was a learning opportunity for you and you're better for it? One situation that comes to mind is, is very recently in dealing with um, COVID and how that has impacted uh, the world and, and particularly my world here at Twin Lakes. We had um, an outbreak that actually started on April 3rd, which, you know, seems like forever ago now. It was mm. very early in the season of COVID. And we did not have um, a lot of supplies like everyone else. We, we actually had more supplies than most, but never enough to to last through what we needed mm -hmm. at that time. And I remember feeling and showing that I was hurt and disappointed and felt like I had let people down and that I almost felt like it was my fault because we actually had one little unit who um, all the residents were positive. And again, this was before masks were mandated or anything like that, before we knew much about COVID. And a resident said to me, this is not your fault. You, you are the leader here. You have to be strong. You have to show us that this is unfortunate and we're all up for a battle here. And I just remember I, I was felt so defeated and, and he was really tough on me. And, and that really helped me to grow to remember that people are looking to me to be courageous and to show. But I also have to show them that I'm human. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes I think that's, that is important. The fact that there is a, um, like an emotional and softer side, uh, of leadership. Um, and I think you're able to demonstrate that side as well as showing the strength and the courage of, of a leadership a leader in that COVID times. Um, so clearly when people look to us as leaders in healthcare, they see all the glamor aspect of it. But that's, we all know that's only like 5% of what we do. Right? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so what drives you towards your mission or your vision of success? You know, what, what is your reward for this journey that you've embarked upon? The overall health and success and the cultural satisfaction that the residents and the associates experience is ultimately what gets me out of bed and gets me to work and, and keeps me up at night because I want things to be enjoy. I want people to enjoy living here, enjoy working here, and to really feel like they have a sense of commitment to one another and themselves. And when, when we can create a culture that people live for each other and they lift one another up and they, they look forward to being here, then I think that everything else we can manage with that. That's, that's, you know, that's not the big stuff. The big stuff happens when you have relationships and, and relationships are the key to all success or failures with the lack of relationships. 
Thank you, Lisa. So when we, as we look out into the future, what external forces of change um, do you see that will have a transformative impact in your industry in the next five years? Well, certainly senior living has taken a, um, a big hit on the reputation. Not that it ever had a great reputation um, because people were misinformed. You know, they didn't understand all the great things that are happening in the senior living spectrum. But now with COVID and the, um, the much publicized media in regards to, you know, how it spreads like wildfire and, you know, people aren't doing what they should do. There's a hesitancy for people to, to move into a senior living community at will. Um, out of desire. And we have to overcome that. And we have a lot of tools to do that. But that in and of itself is going to be a big challenge because occupancy is is essential for the success of all communities. And if you don't have um, people moving in, then jobs can be affected. And it, it really makes a difference on amenities and, and how things um, run for the present day, but in the future as well. How do you see the care at home model evolving, um, particularly in your area? We are very blessed at Life Enriching Communities because we've actually been on the front um, end of that. We have a, a great business model. Um, one of our divisions is called Confident Living, and that is uh, CCRC without walls. And what that does is bring empowered um, tools to seniors who are continuing to live in their home in regards to resources of vetting different um, contractors. Uh, there's a critical or a, um, a care component with it, a care management aspect. There's a long-term care insurance benefit. There's so many benefits to a program like that. And that just, again, helps us further relationships with people who they're not ready now. They may never be ready. But should that change, if their need or situation changes, we know that they've got a friend in us and they will look to us as the leader in senior living. Truly, that sure. is the case. And as I mentioned, uh, you know, LAC, Life Nature Community, is one of the truly innovative um, organizations out there. And um, the example of the CCRC Beyond Walls is is a, a clear, clear um, vision of where the, the future is going. So love that. How about this? Fill in the blank. Ten years from now, I, Lisa Zimmers, will have made healthcare blank. Amazing. Love it. Love it. Give us an insight to what that amazing looks like. I want to transform how um, I want to be known as the place that people are waiting for someone to retire so that they can come here to work. Oh. I want it to be a place that people are like, did you hear somebody left there? Somebody moved away. I want to be, they should be waiting for us to call them. I want to have a wait list for people to have an opportunity to even apply or have an interview within our organization. It needs to be that positive of an experience that you want to work here. Not that you get to work here, but you want to work here. Yes. Yes. You know, my wife grew up in a small town and there is a, uh, there's a nursing home and you know, it's funny because in that small town, everybody knows each other. And she talks about how when she's older, she wants to go to that nursing home because she'll already have built in community. Mm -hmm. You know, um, she actually volunteered. As, she worked as a, uh, a CNA when she was in you know, high school or a little after high school. So she kind of grew up in that space. She's now a nurse. So she's kind of on your path. But it's, it's interesting. Great work. Yep. Yeah. But that's the first time I heard anybody say 
what my wife described as, yeah, I want to, I want to retire there. I want to grow old there because, you know, the, the stereotype of a nursing home is, is not great, Mm -hmm. but the way you just describe how you envision life enriching communities as a place that's amazing to be at, I think that's admirable. And, 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 and I'm sure you'll do it in 10, you know, in the next 10 years, you'll look back and you did it. Um, let's do a speed round. I like to close our podcast with, you know, just a, a very blank response of what comes into your mind. All right. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Don't overthink it. Just okay. whatever pops into your mind. First question. What would you say is your chief characteristic? Positivity. What do you appreciate the most in your friends? Honesty. What's your idea of happiness? A long walk. <laughs> That's my idea of misery, but okay. What's your <laughs> idea of misery? Idea, idea of misery. Oh, a job I don't like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who is your favorite character in fiction, either a book or a movie? Oh, oh. I really don't know. Um, I don't watch too much television, so. Um, I, I really like Goldbergs. So how about Mama Goldberg? Uh, <laughs> oh, I forget her name. Yeah, I'm she's not- the smother. The smother. She's obnoxious, but I really think she's hilarious. She just wants to do everything right for her kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Don't we all, though? Yes. Uh, what? Okay, so I was going to ask you, what's your favorite movie? But you say you don't watch too much TV. I'm assuming not too many movies. What, do you have a favorite movie? Um, probably one of my all-time favorite movies is Forrest Gump. I love that. Yeah, I love Forrest Gump. Love that. And what do you what do you what do you love about Forrest Gump the movie? Well, I love that he constantly sees himself as able to do anything. He just puts himself out there. He's willing to do it, and he doesn't hear people's criticism. He just charges onward and gets it done. <laughs> Finally, what life lesson would you like to share with the next generation? Uh, Don't say no for anyone else. Mm. You have to make your success your own and go after it. Don't assume that they won't do it. They don't want you. You're not good enough because you are. You just have to convince them that, that you are. You just exude positivity. I love that about you. Well, there you have it. Lisa Zimmer is the executive director of Twin Lakes for Life Insurance Communities. Keep making healthcare amazing. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Have a great day.